Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I am your host, Damon Pistolka, and I am excited for our guest today because we have Sean M. Doyle here from Fitz Martin talking to us today about optimizing sales and marketing operations. Thanks for being here today, Sean. It's incredible. I feel like we're balancing the nation out. You've got that kind of upper left quadrant. I've got the Southeast. We should you be bet. totally in sync, very balanced nationally. So uh, I'm not sure yes. that's what you want to talk about, but it, probably not. Let's talk about what business leaders and owners can do to have great exits. And if they don't want to exit, great sales and marketing operations that achieve their goals. Why wouldn't you it's run your business that way? You bet. It's all good. It's all good. I mean, in building a better sales and marketing operation builds a stronger business that, you know, feeds you better, feeds you better today and in the long term, if you decide that. Amen. To so, now we're preaching. Yep. So, Sean, <laughs> we have to do a little, little, little historical journey first because. You're saying I'm old? Is that what you just said? No. <laughs> I'm just saying we always like to learn more about people before we get into a topic. So tell us Perfect. what got you into your history and how you got into what you're doing today. Mm. Well, my standard answer would be fly fishing, but I don't think that fits here. So <laughs> we could talk about that. Uh, but the interesting thing about fly fishing that does apply is as simple as it seems, as beautiful as it is, it is systematic. And there are ways that you fly fish, that you break down and say, what is working? What should I optimize more? What's not working? What should I stop doing? And, and candidly, fishing, I, I, I don't want to really say sales and marketing should look like fishing. That's cheese ball. It shouldn't, but it should look like a process. You should have a way to break down what you do. You should have a starting place and a framework, but that's not really what got me going. What I would, I'll share a quick story. Yeah. I had a, a business, uh, oh, 15 years ago. Uh, and it was, it was the same business. Uh, we were driven by one big gorilla client. That big gorilla client called me and said, hey, we've got this problem. Now I'm in the sales and marketing consulting business. And we, for some clients, help them execute the strategies and do the tactical work. This particular client was asking us, we've got 1,500 prospects that will be game changers. Our sales team has met with the prospects. They know the, the company, the, the buyers knew the sellers, the sellers knew the buyers, and they couldn't move the needle. Well, I had just been given a book that has changed everything about the way I approach sales and marketing. And the book said that there is a systematic way that all of us 
go through a buying process. Okay, so half the, half your audience just went, oh gosh, it's going to be a sales pipeline conversation. It's not. Hang in there with me. Hang in. Because the aha moment right, is that there are, there are 10... There are 10 best practices that impact specific parts of the way the buyer goes through the journey. And as a marketer, a professional salesperson, I didn't know that. I knew that mm -hmm. sometimes I did things that worked and sometimes it didn't. And this business was a major business that challenged us with this. They'd gone through two other agencies and they failed. Those other agencies aren't dumb they're smart people. They do beautiful yeah. creative work. They're, they're wise, but they didn't have the insight that this book shared with me and that we now apply it. We call it centricity. And there is this proven playbook that allows us to predict a buyer's needs. And, and I think that if we think about things and marketing is often taught that we should equip sales to sell and that's wrong. Marketing should be expert at equipping buyers to buy. That doesn't, that sounds subtle, but it's very different. Oh yes. It's very different. So that got me so fabulously interested in this. So we, we mapped out, we used this framework. We mapped out what had been done by the past two agencies. We found out the buyers weren't equipped to go across the finish line. It was a late mm -hmm. stage sales problem, but mm -hmm. agencies for the most part, see the world as an awareness problem, an early stage stuff. Well, that's fine. There's 80,000 agencies in America. Most of them could do a pretty good job with that early stage awareness thing. It's the late stage, man. That's when the best practice, that's when the gold happens. That's where the magic happens. And that is what we tried for this bank. And it was a bank. It was a financial institution. So think about it. Bank has parity. This is even better of a story because that bank didn't sell anything different than the other bank. But yes. we were able to create wins. $380 million of closed business deposits, net new customers from the same 1500 prospects that they couldn't close before. Wow. So, wow. Sean M Doyle and Fitzmartin, we must be really smart, right? No, <laughs> we're not that smart. We just have this great content that's scientific. It's a model that works. It's a framework. And we've been applying that for over a decade now. And it gets consistent mm -hmm. results. So if you want to know how to make sales and marketing work, start with a great framework that's scientifically validated. That's not creative, some marketing guy's idea. That's not some sales, you know, we, we call it hope, hyperbole, and hubris. That's not yeah. a model. That's just some person's opinion. This isn't our opinion. We don't claim it. It's the transtheoretical model of, of behavioral change. How do you like that for a mouthful? That's why we call it centricity. <laughs> but it's not our science. And it's validated. It's validated for 20 years of results. It's been an mm -hmm. 10 years of results. It's been incredible. So that's what got me doing what we do today. That was probably more of an answer than you expected. But it's, yeah, I'm passionate about it. It's game changing. Well, yeah. I can see why. And, you know, I, I, I still tell people this day, I, the most, impactful marketing book that i've read in the last couple of years is uh, one by marcus sheridan called they they ask you answer and it is mm -hmm. it is just just answer their questions and allow them to make informed decisions because that's what everybody and and it gets down to the point 
what you're talking about is is absolutely i believe spot on is people don't want to make a bad decision and if they don't have right. the information to make a good decision they will make no decision or make a decision <laughs> they will make no 100%. decision 100% so you are it's like I prompted you to say this and I didn't 80% decide think I think about this this work so my expertise is in emerging middle market business to business space mm -hmm. we love that space we're really good yep. at it I love awesome. it because it's complex uh, but think about it. let's just simplify the whole thing so if you run a, a retail shop, if you run a spa, if you run a small consumer business, if you run a major enterprise, if you run Georgia Pacific, this all is true. 80% yes. of the people will reconsider and stick with the status quo instead of making change. Not, not because your product and service isn't better, because they don't see how the change is worth the effort. They don't see the difference. It's not worth the change because change has a cost. We approach the world saying, look at our thing. Our thing is so much better than those other guys thing. But guess what? Businesses have to operate. You're running a hundred million dollar business. You've got to make priorities because cash flow isn't just free, right? You've got to decide, am I going to, is it, is your marketing, is your, is your product better than the product I'm using? Yes. Is it worth the capital that I'm going to have to invest of time and money and resources to make the change? No. Why? Because you're going to give me a 25% improvement and it's going to cost so much. And I've got five other things that are, are priorities in my business that have nothing to do with sales and marketing. They have nothing to do with. So people have, I mean, it, you have to understand that. You have to understand that your world is not their world. And it may mm -hmm. be that that 80% number is important to you. And that you should let those people retreat in the in the in your pipeline. Don't put your pressure on sales. Why didn't you close the deal? Come on. I mean, put your pressure to, to get on the side of the buyer and understand. And what a great answer. I, I would buy this today, but there's the three other capital expenditures, and I'm gonna do that and need to do that. Let's talk in a year. Okay. Sure. It's great. Yeah. That's a that's a real life problem, but you've got to have the buyers, the centricity has to be on the buyer. You've got sales and marketing alignment is a something that, that business leaders and executives talk about and try to achieve. And I believe most people approach it wrong. If I try to align sales to marketing, what happens? Sales and marketing get aligned, maybe. What maybe. did that achieve? What did that achieve though? What if, what if, marketing got aligned to the customer's needs, the buyer's needs, and sales got aligned to the buyer's needs. The net result of that is sales and marketing are aligned because they're both focused on the needs of the buyer as they go through the journey. The net result is sales and marketing are aligned. The goal is not sales and marketing alignment. It's the worst named trend in business right now. If you focus awesome. on buyer alignment, buyer alignment creates buyer sales alignment. and marketing alignment. Yeah, centricity. Be centered on the buyer's needs. Man, I feel like I'm preaching. I'm getting fired up. Let's go change this the world. Is good. This is good. This is good. So so let's, let's go down this now because a lot of our clients are and the people that are listening to this, they might have multiple buyers like you talk about mm. a, a larger company or i'm say say i'm in 
heaven forbid, I'm in something like oil field services where I have <laughs> clients that are out in the field and I have the corporate procurement people that I have to deal with. Mm. How do we do that when we have this buyer alignment, but I have multiple people that I need to align with? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I think standard sales and marketing methodology is you look for that advocate and then you get them to sell for you and you, and you try to leverage that person mm -hmm. to do your inside sales because it is complicated. You, you do have multiple decision yeah. makers and different perspectives. So I think a mature business and, and most of your clients, from what I can tell, are pretty mature businesses that are looking for operational gains, ways to do yes. sales and marketing better. But they're not learning that there's multiple decision makers. That's not the aha moment. I think one of the aha moments, and it's just the one I'll focus on limited time, is the, the deal is typically scored internally at most sales and marketing organizations based on the most advanced buyer. So let's say there's five buyers. One's ready to close. The other three are lagging behind somewhere. Mm -hmm. they, maybe they don't even know that there's a problem. Think about that. Oh, so we got one buyer saying, I can fix the problem. You've got another buyer that says, I don't even know the problem. Didn't even, even know those existed. But the salesman's going back to the company going, hey, I got one at the finish line. We're getting ready to close this one. This is so good. And we want, you know, as executives, we do want predictable pipelines. That's important. Mm -hmm. We also have a, a conflict where we want the best salespeople want the best and the best outcome from us, from their point of view is the closed deal. So what do you do? How do you, when you, when you, we get somebody that says, I've got a, a, a deal, it's at the finish line. Well, you've got to score the deal way back at what we would call pre-contemplation. I mean, I, there's somebody in your business, if there's three buyers in your business or five, I think was the scenario we were playing on. There's, if there's two of them, let's say the CEO and the CFO have never even contemplated that there was a problem, then your deal is at zero because yeah. one influencer who's ready to buy isn't, can't get it past two gatekeepers that have authority, wisdom, and structure. So you've got to have the courage to say, we've got five people in the deal, in a typical deal. We know that two of them are even aware that we exist or that the problem even exists at their company. We see it with clarity. Now our job, our buyer-centric job, is equipping buyers to buy. We have a reason to talk to people. And marketing technology today, especially in the B2B space, is incredible. We can today take those five buyers and deliver different messages to each of them. And I'm talking about when you're looking at the Wall Street Journal, we can present an ad to you, to mm -hmm. you. I mean, not we're not talking about ads to CEOs. We're talking about an ad to one CEO at one company with one login and one URL. And I mean, it's astonishing the abilities we have to do that kind of work. We could do, let's say it's a large CapEx decision that's going to impact production. You mentioned oil field services. So if it's going to impact production well we can we can communicate to the people in the patch and let them know how why their lives are going to be improved so their life improvement might be uh, less time waiting more uptime uh, less downtime we're going to get you back up to speed because in the oil field a day could be worth a hundred thousand dollars yes yes it's so who cares if your service costs twenty thousand dollars i mean 
honestly, if you're charging $20,000, you should probably charge $60,000 because mm -hmm. the value of your service is not what you're doing. Your value of the service is uptime. So what if we tell the people in the field and deliver messages through techniques like geofencing, you're going to hit your bonus because you'll have more uptime. How did we do that? Well, we got this service we do, this thing we do, or the rapid response time. Well, the, the, the message of the same company, the CFO should not be getting that message per se, right? The CFO should be told, if you, you know, imagine what Wall Street would see or imagine what the private equity firm will see if we can improve uh, your cash flow by 10%. How are you going to do that? Well, we have a rapid response team that gets the field up faster. Very different messages. Maybe that was mm -hmm. too subtle to, for good illustration, but hopefully no, that good. demonstrates the idea and you can do that you can do that mm -hmm. nowadays and you could have somebody that pre-contemplating and you could have somebody at the action step so you should be telling them different things one person's being uh, asked to make a public commitment to yeah we're going to buy this company's services or even a more powerful public commitment you're asking me to come in and recommend that I, I'm putting my name on the line to, mm -hmm. I need business growth, M&A advisory services from this BMW bike riding dude from the Northwest, right? So if I'm going to tell my CEO that I think you are great at this, I'm now risking my reputation, right? Mm -hmm. Has nothing to do with you. I've got to be comfortable that you're going to deliver great business growth and M&A advisory services. Well, that's, we would call that a, an important bit of private and then public commitment. So before I'm going to make a public commitment, I've got to understand that I can trust you to not make me look like a fool. You had to do that before getting on, getting me on your show. I could, I could ruin your show by being an idiot, but you validated whether I would gain mm -hmm. value or add value to your show and your listeners or not. There's ways that you do that in the podcasting world. Well, the same mm -hmm. thing is happening with every one of your buyers. So the person that's unaware, they're not even thinking about the problem. Your job is to raise their consciousness that there's a solution to a problem that they didn't even know about versus that late stage buyer where you're, you're helping them create trust to make a public commitment. That's just a simple demonstration. Uh, and no, notice I Very never use the word awareness. I never use the word awareness. Awareness is probably one of my other least favorite words. I don't care. You know, I'm aware that I need to lose 15 pounds. Mm -hmm. I'm aware. My behavior's not changed, but I'm aware. <laughs> I, we're all aware of things. I'm aware that Corvette has a new car. Okay. Yep. Doesn't mean so you're what? going out and getting one. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how it matters to me. Awareness is, is one of the most pursued least powerful aspects of, of powerful marketing and sales, effective marketing and sales. What is the, what is the word that you would use instead of that? Consciousness raising. There we go. I want you to, uh, that, that was two words, wasn't it? But you know, I'm in marketing. I can make up terms and I can add words. So consciousness no, raising, I, what is consciousness raising? It's the difference yeah. between being aware something exists and understanding how it matters to me. It's super simple. It's not complicated <laughs> and it's not, and we didn't invent it. It's the science behaviors never mm -hmm. change. 
if I don't understand how it matters to me? I'll lean on the science for a second. Do you believe there's anybody in America who's not aware of the negative impacts of smoking? Is it possible? I don't know if it's possible anymore. I think you'd be living in a cave or certainly a Luddite or maybe, I don't know, you're off the grid, but I'm not even sure anybody possibly could know that anymore. But Mm -hmm. we still sell cigarettes in America and you can buy them and you see people smoking. So that's an awareness does not make the change. Some people change their behavior because they saw how it would matter to them. Now, how might quitting smoking matter to me? Well, before the show, we were talking about, I've got a grandchild. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So if I'll quit smoking, I get 10 more years with my grandchild. Well, that's Mm -hmm. cool. So it had nothing to do. What I like about that illustration is it had nothing to do with smoking. My value proposition was 10 more years with my grandchild. Mm-hmm. But as marketers and as salespeople, we go out talking about our, hey, quit smoking stuff. You know, we got this patch, we got the methodology, we've got small groups, whatever. And we talk about how we help people uh, quit smoking. But what we should be doing is talking about helping raise consciousness. We're not really talking about smoking. We're talking about giving you 10 more years with your grandchild. Well, that's more powerful. That's a consciousness raising because it connects the dots. Okay, that's great. That's great, Doyle, but I sell large capital expenditure stuff to manufacturing companies. Guess what? Awesome. It's it's the same thing. I I really don't care about the wire cutting machine in the fab shop. What I care about is it increases my throughput by 25%. And that equals $5 million a year. So you want me to buy a $200,000 wire machine? Sure. That's not even, I don't even care. That's not, that's a, that's a rounding error. If I can increase my capacity by 10 million, Mm -hmm. that's easy. So it's the same thing. We've got to quit selling. We've got to start selling the results of what people are buying and talking about that instead of talking about how fast our wire machine is or how it's built with, stainless steel or whatever the yeah whatever yeah. i've never sold a wire stripping machine but i have seen the impact of it in the manufacturing facility mm-hmm. well you're right it's it's about understanding how it matters to me your buyer and helping them realize what that means to them yep. so that it it as you said earlier it gives them the reason to make the investment in time or money to buy your product or service. And typically both, typically both, Mm -hmm. both time and money. So we started with, and I think your audience cares about how do I either create systematic repeatable programs and processes so that I can elevate the value of my company or I can elevate Mm -hmm. my cash flow and I can enjoy the benefits now, or maybe it's on a pawn exit that I can do that. I, I would challenge that the simplest, best thing to do is to have a systematic approach that is predictable. Okay, there's the least exciting advice of the day because everybody knew that before I said it. How do I do that? Well, it's strategic. You've got to make it a strategic priority as an executive team of at your business. You mm-hmm. have to give weight to it. Uh, you probably will have to help your executive team or uh, my goal today is to help an executive understand the 
that this is a great lever that's probably been underutilized. If you think about all the different dials and, and levers on the tool of business, how many things can you turn up, turn down? You can impact cash flow. You can hire people, fire people. You can lay off. You can buy equipment. You can use finance. You can use, I mean, there's a, there's a hundred strategic things you do daily in your business, but often we don't think first of how marketing can impact and how sales can impact other than sales can impact by sell more. Okay, great. Got it. You know, everybody, every salesman ever has had the joke of, so I hit target this year and now I'm going to be punished with a higher target. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, sell more. Okay. That's not very strategic. Um, but so how do you approach things strategically? I think you've got to have a, a, a framework to make decisions. Otherwise what happens is sales and marketing people rely on hope, hubris, and hyperbole. And they come in and make recommendations and we don't really have a good framework. I believe education in the executive world is, is limited on how to use the marketing lever from a strategic point of view. And as a result, we devalue it and we look at it as a, as a line item cost, not mm -hmm. as a lever that we can be serious about. And it may be that the marketing people you've worked with don't even think this way. So I, I want to help you see that the right consultants, the right advisors get this. They see it first as strategic uh, in, in how a business can achieve its objectives. But beyond that, you've got to have a framework that gives you a way to evaluate it, to evaluate the tactical work against the strategy. So the gap often, if you do get a marketing strategy, isn't then, did we have the marketing strategy? it's often it gets thrown over to do execution and the execution doesn't follow the strategy or doesn't know how to execute on it. So when that bank at the top of the show came to us and said, we've got 1500 prospects, that sounded like a very strategic, no, excuse me. It sounded like a very tactical problem. We've got 1500 mm -hmm. people. We need a marketing firm to do communications or whatever it is you people do and get this across the finish line. But what happened is it, it needed a strategy to solve the problem. And the strategy had to do with understanding how buyers sold. It's not that we, our company does not produce better creative, does not have better strategies. We don't make better websites. We don't, you know, there, there's nothing that we do that other people can't do. Literally nothing. What we do that's different, that creates ROI, is we have a framework for the strategy that, that we can look at tactical tools and they'll become effective so that when we're executing a strategy, we know that they're going to work. In the bank's case, our strategy was to let's deal with late stage problems, late stage sales problems. Oh, I just did it wrong. I just said it wrong. See, it's such a natural thing. It was late stage problems. The buyers weren't being equipped properly at the finish mm -hmm. line because we were seeing the world as sales and marketing, not from the buyer's point of view. So once we understand that the buyers had of these best practices, six needs. There's six different ways you can communicate that equip the buyer, solves their, equips them, meets their needs. And if you understand that, then you can tactically execute against the strategy. <clears throat> and if you want this, I'm, I'm an old geezer, right? So you said that at the top of the hour. <clears throat> uh, so there's a, you can go to Fitzmartin, F-I-T-Z-M-A-R-T-I-N.com slash free help. The framework's there. Just download it. 
Uh, Very good. I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't help everybody. I wish I could, but I can't. So down, go download the, the worksheet. It's, it's called the cognitive marketing map We're we're, uh, we're lagging in our marketing, getting that updated. So uh, there's also uh, some videos that, that I can, that will explain this in more detail. And uh, I wrote a book about how executives can, uh, achieve some of the strategic goals and it, it equips them. There's 19 ideas to equip them. And I think I'm past the point of making a living selling books. The bad news is I'm not a book author that makes money, but yeah, the book has a lot of good advice. So just there's a place there. I'll ship you a book and go. no, I'm not going to hit you up. It's not like high risk. You can start getting a lot of sales calls. <laughs> I'll just ship you the book. And if you like it, want my help, call me. That's fine. Uh, so. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the my publisher is not impressed with these comments, by the way. So he thinks I should be selling books. <laughs> I don't, I don't care. Well, I think if you honestly back your, your publisher, I think if you're writing a book because you're passionate about helping people selling the books is secondary to getting the books, the information in the hands of the people that need it. Yep. Yeah. And I think is. that, if you really, I mean, I could, I could, I can feel it from you. I can feel the, the, the passion about how you helping people uh, comes through you, comes through your words, comes through your dedication to what you're doing. I mean, you don't do something like you've been doing uh, for as many years, more than a couple. And, uh, and, and still, yeah, I know I was going to, I'll let you say it, but it's awesome. It's awesome. I mean, you, you got a 30 plus year career in this and it, let's just talk about you a little bit. 5,500 client engagements. You guys got an average ROI of $287 to one uh, invested. I mean, you guys are doing some pretty incredible things. And that's why we, you know, really being able to talk with you about this is so incredible. And I, you know, what you've been telling people today about aligning around the buyer rather than aligning sales and marketing and aligning everyone around the buyer is, is the, uh, is the way to improve your uh, chances of selling your right products and services. I've had some, I've had some wonderful experiences with this in my career, not, and this is before people were even, I don't even know if they said, talked about marketing back then, but when you can take an entire business and, and align it around the customer, then you, then you really, really start to do some game changing things in an industry. Right. When you, when you go, okay, what does our customer really want? And we talk about, yes, there's, we're trying outreach, but what, do, what does our industry as, as a whole really need? And, and doesn't have, but our customers would, would love if we did. And we would, you know, just go light years ahead of everyone else if we yep. could do this. Then well, you, uh, then you just I, open it. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I, well, I just want to say this thing. It's it, it, you, Businesses hit these natural barriers in growth. And what you're discussing yes. is how do you come over? How do you get over those yeah. growth? So you, you have a lot of experience in the M&A world. So before that, you know, you're really focused on cash flow and how do you yes. allocate your investments? And you're starting to think about the quality of the customers and how do you scale or have market expansion? Yeah. And you're beginning these ROI ideas, but you're not yet focused on all I really thinking about is gross margin. 
And how do I do the M&A growth? And how, do, well, how can I start looking at a P&L focus at a product line? How can we get to that predictable profitability? And that's what that next level is going to take. And you, I would challenge that you can't get there uh, until you have this kind of framework and an agreement that sales and marketing are going to be focused on the buyer. And through that buyer focused, you can start making these fully strategic um, decisions and that a CMO should be at some point you need a CMO. I'm not saying you need a marketing director. I'm saying you need a CMO who's fully strategic on your executive team. And they're mm -hmm. probably not looking at your, the ads <laughs> or the color or the, yes, you know, whatever art application or reading the copy, they're looking at the strategic needs of the company. Where's the marketplace going? What, what can we do as an organization to innovate what are the most valuable things for, I mean, what, I want to see the marketing director tied to the CFO and making strategic decisions around, hey, what, you know what, we're scaling so much, but this product line takes a ton of time, has low gross margin. What if we drop a product line? What if we open a new product oh my line? Goodness. What if we, like, those are the kinds of strategic decisions that yeah. you want a CMO making. And if you're going to have that predictable cash flow, and if you're going to have that gross margin mindset, to either be prepared for M&A or to be prepared uh, for uh, your own success to keep continuing it, then that's the, that's where marketing's got to get to. It's got to achieve those types of goals. I'm done preaching on that one. I'm dropping the mic. No, I'm I'm just thinking. I'm I'm just listening. I'm just absorbing this because this is incredible. Because you know <laughs> when when you when you say CMO, so many people talk about. Well, I'm the I'm the person that's you know I'm these are the campaigns or this is the things that they, the kind of things we should be doing to bring awareness and all these other kind of things. But you're saying the CMO is really more like the, the sidekick beside the CFO, the COO, the CEO that's going, listen, listen here, people. I see this. <laughs> this yeah. is the way we should move. Because yeah. the market be, is telling us this. Yeah, whether it's a, yeah, and, and it can incredible. be that, yeah, it can be that that person, the, a wise CMO that can't, doesn't have that kind of futurist vision, that's okay. I did an engagement once for a company where we hired five futurists to give us opinions around the specific market niche. And then I presented what those five futurists did. And you say, well, what's a futurist? That sounds fancy. It's a, you know, it's a college professor or it's a, mm -hmm. it's a practicing person in that field. We're looking at uh, another uh, a list of speakers at a conference that is in a space for a client. And we'll go to them and say, hey, we're going to, we'll pay you $500 to sit in the phone for an hour with us. You game? And then we're just going to ask them questions. Where do you see this going? What's happening next? And, you know, some people roll their eyes. Well, a college professor doesn't know what's happening next. Well, you know, maybe not, but you should listen because they sit around all day. They're not distracted by I, and every college professor just got mad at me there. I know you don't sit around all day. It's okay. But you yeah. don't have the pressures of commerce. You didn't get HR yes. calling you this morning and you didn't have to hire somebody and the line didn't go down and the you know, supply chain didn't fail and that you don't have to get distracted by all that. You, you've got time to think. So mm -hmm. a good CMO can hire out that kind of work, but somebody has got to be doing it. Somebody should mm -hmm. be visiting with your customers uh, and learning what, what are, Hey, what are your problems? We think we know what they are because we've been making this thing forever. 
but what are your problems? You may discover, uh, I was actually working with uh, somebody who in installs, does, does startup work using one of my clients' pieces of equipment. And by listening, they, the, the executive I was talking to was talking to some customers and they found out it was something simple and I didn't entirely understand it, but like the guys couldn't get a wrench inside to connect it, this piece of equipment to the grid. And it was just a weird angle. So the, the torque wasn't right. And as a result, things loosened up and then they had problems. Well, incredible insight. What if we can improve mm -hmm. customer satisfaction because the stuff stays up running longer with less problems? And all we had to do was go to engineering and say, hey, do you know this is a problem? Oh, no, we didn't know that was a problem. Let's just move this and that and the other, and then we'll build it differently and we'll be fine. So, I mean, what, yeah. what that's a, but you can't do that sitting at the office. You've got to go talk to customers. Mm hmm. Yeah, and that, so yeah, that, you get it. You get it. You're crowd CMO. Yeah, because they can be that that strategic. That's getting the voice of the customer to you, the voice of the industry too. Because as you're yep. talking about that with the the college professors, right? I will say that the college professional professor may not be in the commerce part of your industry, but what they don't have is they don't have, like you said, the pressures that keep them. Uh, focused on their their little world and and this is what well, we see a lot of clients they they're so focused on their little world mm -hmm. of running their business and their niche and their customers that they don't look at the industry overall well and, and i'm not trying to limit futurist work to professors too it, it can be a practicing no, no. it yeah. could be a consultant it can be somebody yeah. who has exposure to hey i work with 30 companies a year well guess what that mm -hmm. person has that you don't have visibility into 30 different sets of problems that mm -hmm. might be in your space great person mm -hmm. to hire what do you see happening in the future you know so yeah. uh, there's just anyway there's that strategic level of cmo is really yeah. important. so yeah this is incredible so when when you before we got on you you and this you may have been talking about this ready but you you mentioned there's a point that businesses get to you know they're 10 15 million dollars in revenue where they really hit this barrier this wall and what are some of the the the, the signs of that so people listening today go, oh man, I'm we're hitting this and I didn't even realize it. Yeah, it's a it's pretty remarkable when you break down the research and uh and it's all data I've pulled from other people. So once again, I don't do anything, I just gather <laughs> data. Um so if you look at uh you know Alampi and Associates, United States Business Profile, SBA Office of Advocacy, our experience. You know, you start seeing these patterns emerge and let's just stick with the one that you were talking about. You know, there's probably 140,000 businesses in America today that have 50, 75 full-time employees, maybe the 15 million in revenue. The revenue number is really hard to use uh, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if I'm a lawyer and I have 15 million in revenue, that's very different than uh, yeah. somebody who manufactures something that has $15 yeah. million dollars of revenue. So it's that I, I tend to think the FTE number, the full-time employee number is a better one. So let's say, let's just imagine you've got 75 employees on your team. You're starting to run into some problems. You're starting to realize, you know what, the org chart is established, but now we really need middle management. And we fought middle management all the way up from a small business to be this size, but now we're starting to go, huh, 
maybe middle management is, does have value. You know, you're mm -hmm. moving into uh, some, you've got some, probably have some dashboard driven accountability, um, but that's going to grow. That needs to grow. Uh, you've, you've got some, uh, so there's some leadership thinking. You might be bringing in a consultant, um, like an execution maximizer, Capricorn leadership, EOS, uh, which tends to be a little bit smaller, but you've got some outside consultants for leadership. Maybe you're parting of Convene or Vistage or some group like that. And that's, those are really helpful tools. There's some infrastructure things that you're happening. You know, you're, you're really getting ready to face um, my disparate technology systems aren't working as well functionally. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's time for the ERP that can really eliminate some of that cross silo communications. Um, maybe we need to start looking at data science. We might have enough mm -hmm. of a business now and enough of it, enough data that we can identify patterns uh, and that's something that we never dealt with before because before we were just not ready for that kind of infrastructure. We already mentioned mm -hmm. the business focus, moving from cash flow focus to gross margin. You know, but from a marketing and sales, and that's really where my expertise is. Yeah. You know, you you've begun to think about this marketing and sales alignment. You might not have a CMO yet. Uh, maybe you need a fractional CMO as you grow. You know, I, th I think fractional CMOs can be effective. You know, maybe you have 200, 500 employees. You could still, based on your business type, you could still have a fractional CMO, but somebody's got to be providing that executive team strategic work while somebody else is leading the executional. And that might be a director of marketing. So you've got a CMO strategic person, and then you've got a director of marketing who's taking care of that tactical day-to-day -day work. Mm -hmm. They're managing the agencies, the craft teams, the training department. They're doing all of that. So that's, those, those are the kinds of shifts that you're going to start needing to see. You know, you're probably going to need to start thinking about marketing and planning on a P&L level instead of a company level. Somewhere that starts to become important. Mm -hmm. why, what, why would we... I, one of my best clients, I, we just made the shift from a traditional product line to a new product line and probably cut the budgets in half for the traditional budget, uh, for the traditional product lines and moving it into a new, very future innovative um, product line that's having radical success. So those kinds of decisions have to start happening. Yeah. And I don't know. So I'm kind of, there's a hundred of these. If you just email me, uh, you know, Sean at Fitzmartin, it'll come to me. It doesn't go to the sales team. And I will send you a document that I use uh, that's called the business barriers to growth. And you can just look at it yourself. But you'll, what, I think the thing is when you start seeing, you feeling these pressures, and this happens in my own business too, I start mm -hmm. feeling these pressures. And then I, like, I'll, I'll look at my industry's data and my leading provider of that data. And I'll go, oh, yeah, we're at this transition point that's natural mm -hmm. to feel this stress. Yeah. It's not that I lost control or didn't know how to lead or, or whatever, you know, it's just that mm -hmm. there, there's natural, there's these natural shifts and what worked for you when you had 25 people doesn't work for you now that you got 75 and guess yeah. what, what you're doing at 75 people isn't going to work when you have 500, mm -hmm. it's a different business, different needs. Yeah, it is. So can you imagine having 500 people and you said, nope, no middle management ever in my company? Yeah, that, that uh, wouldn't work be too bad. well. That wouldn't work too well. Yeah. That'd be a bad day. It'd be a bad day. So uh, I've been in, I've been in this situation. <laughs> yeah, it would be a really bad day. <laughs> so and there's not many people well, that scale that size, by the way. The data shows only about 30,000 businesses in America will get to that 200 to 500 employee size. So that's rarefied yeah. air. 
That's a yeah. success. You know, there's only, think about this in the, in the entire country, there's only about 6 million businesses that get to 1 million in revenue and have 10 employees, mm-hmm. only 6 million. You know, some, yeah. I think sometimes small business, because the government doesn't call us small business until you get to 200, 300 people. Yeah. That's when the government acknowledges it. I think that's yeah. wrong. I mean, yeah, I I'm a too. small business. We've got 16 people. Well, there's yeah. only 6 million businesses in all of America that got to that big. Yeah. There's, you know, we're, we're tipping over into that 25 full-time employee space. There's only yeah. a million businesses that get that large. That's yes. huge. That's massive. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, huge success. Yes. So if you don't get yeah. to 200, you know, there's some lifestyle decisions there too. Yeah. I feel like we've moved yeah. into general business consulting, but sales and marketing should be part of that mix. It's got to yes. be part of that mix. Most yes. business leaders are good at sales. So that is naturally part of the executive leadership. And most business leaders at some point acknowledge and see marketing as a lever they could pull that they haven't pulled yet. And significant strategic advantage can happen if they will. That is a great, I, I, I tell you what, I just want to say, Sean, we, we've been here for about 40 plus minutes and it seems like five because <laughs> uh, just listening to you speak the, the words, you know, all the way back from, uh, consciousness raising, you know, understanding how it matters to the, to the, you know, when I'm speaking to someone and aligning the sales and marketing around the buyer and how that gets alignment when we shouldn't be talking about sales and marketing alignment, we should be talking about buyer alignment. Mm. So much good stuff here. I just wanted to tell anyone that's listening today, uh, Kennedy, uh, thanks for the comment early on. And Phil, thanks for the comment on. And the other people that are listening, thank you so much for being out there. But rewind this thing and listen if you didn't hear some of the stuff Sean was saying earlier. Uh, and and go back through it because, man, there was a lot of nuggets in here. Thank you for being here today, Sean. Well, first of all, I'm a little anxious that there were comments. I need to go look at those, too. Yeah. <laughs> instant feedback well, that's correct great well it's either great or yeah. terrible and it's been an honor to be here you have a neat business we didn't even get to talk about you and your motorcycle but we can do that offline i guess thank yeah. you i hope there was yeah. some value helped uh, oh, as i man. said earlier i'm 100 percent good with sharing anything i got so uh i'm in, at the age where i finally recognized i can't help everybody in america so i'm going to try to by giving it away that sounds like a cheesy line for a mattress company or something, doesn't it? Sounds awesome, Sean. <laughs> it sounds awesome. But I just want to, hey, we had Sean Doyle here from Fitz Martin. If you want to reach out to him, it is F-I-T-Z-M-A-R-T-I-N.com. Reach out to him there. Connect with him on LinkedIn. And thanks so much for being here today, Sean. My honor. Thank you. You bet. Well, everyone, we will be back again with another episode of the Faces of Business later this week. That's all for now. Hang out for a minute, Sean, and we'll talk.